This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Thanks for joining us here on Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino. We've got a packed show for you today, beginning with an international study released in August of 2021, led by a Canadian researcher. It examines the relationship between three hot topics on the minds of many parents of teens and youth, screen time, mental health, and physical activity. Published in the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health, the study looked at data from more than 500,000 teenagers. Dr. Mark Tremblay, father of four, senior scientist at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario and Halo Research, as well as president of the Active Healthy Kids Global Alliance, is the Canadian researcher involved in the study. He joins us from Ottawa. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Tremblay. My pleasure. Certainly the timelines of this research and its findings are so important, but what was the impetus for conducting such a study? These are all hot topics uh, among parents, among researchers, among policymakers these days. So it, it's an area that needs constant um, research and, and, and information flowing in. Uh, secondly, uh, the World Health Organization just last year came out with new physical activity guidelines for the planet. And in the children and youth guidelines, they, they suggest that children reduce sedentary time and, and control screen time, but they stopped short of putting any line in the sand and, and saying, you know, a certain amount you should try and stay below. And the reason for that, they said, is that there was a lack of evidence of dose response relationships. Lots of studies that look at, you know, under or over a particular line, but not those that look across the whole spectrum. So they needed more information on that. So we wanted to try um, and, and address that, uh, that void. Uh, and, the, and the other reason was to try and understand the combined effects of physical activity and screen time. We often, as parents um, and as researchers, in fact, uh, look at these things in isolation as though they're, they're separate entities and, and don't have a good understanding of how they relate to one another. So for example, as a parent, I might think, well, I took my, my child to soccer practice today, so they got their exercise. So it's probably okay if they spend a lot of time on their screens because they got their physical activity. And we wanted to investigate that. Can you take us through that a bit more in terms of the process that you undertook? Uh, I guess one of the novel elements here is that you worked uh, in collaboration with a researcher based in Australia. Can you take us through what that looked like? So Assad is, uh, is a colleague of mine uh, through the Active Healthy Kids Global Alliance. He's actually the leader of the Bangladesh Report Card, um, uh, which is one of the 60 countries that participate in that particular exercise. So we know one another through that. These analyses are done on World Health Organization data from the Health Behavior of School-Age Children Survey uh, that is done in European and North American countries. 42 of them, 42 countries in this particular analysis. So they're data that exist that we have, have been able to access to analyze in this particular way. And it's, it's through the Active Healthy Kids Global Alliance that Assad and I um, are connected. What were the main findings of this study? Meeting physical activity guidelines of 60 minutes of, of physical activity per day. So the more frequent 
throughout the week, you meet that guideline one day versus two versus three versus four and so on, the better uh, for mental well-being. In contrast, uh, screen time is a little bit more complicated that an hour or depending on how you interpret the, uh, the graphs, maybe up to two hours of recreational screen time per day uh, isn't adversely affected, uh, affecting uh, mental health, but beyond two hours, there's a dose response relationship. So uh, that, that is deteriorating, that it is uh, unfavorably associated with uh, mental well-being. So three hours is worse than two, four is worse than three, five is worse than four and so on. So you've got both of these, but what we also found is that within each of those categories, so if we, if we look at the high screen time users, uh, and the high category is more than eight hours per day of recreational screen time, and yes, there's a lot of kids that get that. Um, so they're, so they're, they're in the, the bad mental health category in terms of screen time, but uh, with each successive day of meeting the physical activity guidelines, the ramifications go down. So in other words, they both matter and the same works the other way if you look at the low physical activity people, but if they also have low screen time, it's not as bad as if they have high screen time. The worst scenario, of course, is low physical activity, high screen time use. The best, of course, high physical activity, low screen time use. But there's a dose response relationship and both matter. So if you're losing the battle on one, don't give up on the other. You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we're discussing the findings of a global study involving the relationship between screen time, physical activity, and the mental well-being of teens and youth. One of the lead authors of the study, Dr. Mark Tremblay, uh, is our guest today. Dr. Tremblay, I want to pick up on a point that you made earlier when you said recreational screen time. Could you please differentiate for us, because there's going to be parents listening to this going, well, my, my child spent at least six hours in you know online school during this pandemic and virtual learning. I mean, right away, you know, that, that child is going to topple uh, all the statistics just because of, of going to school. Could you differentiate that for us? Yeah, and that's a really good point. And another reason why, but more of a serendipitous reason why uh, uh, this, this paper is very timely. Um, uh, I say serendipitous because we, we started it before the, the pandemic, but, but the pandemic uh, changed the rules altogether um, uh, for educators, for parents, for everyone. And, um, and, and so that creates a bigger challenge. Yeah, so it, it's a delicate zone when you get into screen time uh, as it relates to school behaviors. Though I wanna put a plug in here and, and, and maybe to, to you, Leanne, for the future, that there will be an international group that will be coming out with school-related sedentary behavior recommendations, global ones, um, this fall. So stay tuned for that. So, so we are venturing into that territory. But, uh, but for these guidelines and for the WHO guidelines, they speak to recreational screen time. So it's meant to be discretionary screen time, separate from even work. If a child uh, has, has a, an adolescent has a job that involves them being on a computer for most of the time and so on, we're, we're parking that to the side for now and saying, okay, let's, let's deal with the area that you have some control over. Um, the discretionary time or recreational time, uh, time that doesn't have to be spent on the screens. 
So in the course of, of doing this study, and, and of course, you've been on the front lines of this research for decades, I, I wonder what surprised you, if anything? I, I'd say the findings are mostly uniform with, with what I've, I've experienced, um, but they are arguably the most robust. It's a very large sample. The findings replicate in country after country after country after country, in boys and girls, in 11-year-olds, 13-year-olds, and 15-year-olds. Same pattern, same dose response is, is there. That more frequent physical activity, um, meeting those guidelines of, of 60 minutes or more per day, uh, the more days of the week you can do that, the better. Between five and seven days, most days of the week uh, meets the guideline. Um, and, uh, and, and the screen time, you know, up to two hours. Um, and, and, that, and that seems reasonable. And both of the, the cut points are consistent with the existing guidelines in Canada from the WHO and other countries around the world. The guidelines recommend 60 minutes of what we call moderate or vigorous physical activity per day. So movement, uh, not leisurely movement, but a, a bit beyond that. Those are the guidelines and these findings are entirely consistent with them. The guidelines also suggest no more than two hours of recreational screen time per day. And, and these, these findings totally reinforce those. I will mention that there's been a lot of pushback in the past by pro-screen advocates, if you will, um, or even hopeful parents <laughs> that, you know, uh, lots of screen time isn't bad for kids. But the evidence, and this isn't causative, this is cross-sectional evidence, so uh, they're just dose-dependent relationships. They're not causes per se, but they're consistent with the vast majority of literature that's out there, and they're consistent with most people, if they'll be honest with themselves, with their intuition. Some is fine, too much isn't. It's kind of like candy. Obviously, you know, you know yourself as a father, this is a huge battle in many households on a daily basis. And, you know, throw in a pandemic and you've got to, you know, soften some of those rules in many respects. So what can parents do to support their kids to reduce screen time and increase physical activity time? Yeah. And, and so, you know, we have to add that proviso that during a pandemic, you know, I mean, it's a totally different world. But some of the research that we and others have done have shown that some families have been able to be resilient despite the challenges of the pandemic. So it's not a universal given that, well, it's a pandemic, we've got restrictions, so it's okay to let the kids spend all their spare time on screens. Uh, they shouldn't go outside, uh, which has never been one of the recommendations. They've always been encouraged to go outside um, and be active, uh, just um, physically distance uh, appropriately and so on. So participation in, in uh, 2020 came out with a position statement, a consensus statement um, from a bunch of experts on how families can work together to try and meet the 24-hour guidelines, which encompass physical activity and screen time. Um, and, you know, they, they boil it down to, to some simple messages that, you know, we want to encourage our tweens and, and teenagers, that's what this study was about, 11 to 15 year olds, um, to follow healthy living rules. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that through the pandemic, people didn't stop having their kids brush their teeth, you know, and, and, and so we want to keep following rules. We want to facilitate the healthy movement behaviors. And so that's, um, 
you know, encouraging kids to get out, co-participate with them in physical activity, for example. We want to model the behaviors. Um, uh, we want to set expectations. So if the screen time guidelines should be no more than two hours, which are universal around the world, not met by very many, but they're, they're pretty consistently supportive. Uh, then we want to set those rules and work with our teenagers to help them to self-regulate that and, and put that in place. Uh, and ideally co-participate with kids with, in whatever, um, and ideally away from screens. Dr. Trombley, in closing, is there anything else that you believe is important for parents in particular to take away from a study such as this one? Well, I, I think they need to take away to and be compassionate with themselves. These are unprecedented, tough times, to be sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that the challenges are insurmountable. Work away at things slowly and look at your own lifestyle too. Try and, and, and modify your own behaviors, you know, that modeling piece. Um, We've got to recalibrate kids. Um, many research studies, including several by our group, uh, have shown that screen time has gone through the roof during the pandemic. Physical activity time has decreased substantially. Outdoor time has decreased. Sleep times have shifted to later to bed and later to rise. There, there's a pretty rapid and abrupt transition that's occurred in the life of 11 to 15 year olds. Um, and it most definitely predicts premature future health problems, if not current health problems, like the mental well-being we're talking about here. So this is something that's important, something that we need to address. We need to recognize we've got to recalibrate as we come out of the pandemic. Um, and it should be a matter of priority and should be a family priority that we should all do together. Lots of important food for thought. Dr. Mark Tremblay, Senior Scientist at Halo Research and President of the Active Healthy Kids Global Alliance. We really appreciate your time and perspective today. It's been my pleasure. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. Clear and effective communication is a lifelong pursuit for many of us. For parents, that journey involves peaks, valleys, and discoveries along the way based on ages and stages. Our next guest is the co-author of a book that addresses this very topic through a blend of science, experience as an educator for more than 25 years, a speaker, and as a dad himself. Ned Johnson is a father of two teens, a professional tutor, founder of Prep Matters, and co-author of a book released in August of 2021. It's called, What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. Ned Johnson joins us from New York. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Take us through why you and your co-author, Dr. William Stixrude, a clinical neuropsychologist, wanted to write a book on this subject matter. Well, it's sort of a follow-up to our first book, a uh, book called The Self-Driven Child, that had at its core the importance of fostering and or supporting in kids 
a sense of control. There was, it's so vital to both healthy motivation and to mental health and you know, stress tolerance. And we, we lectured all over the country and people really enjoyed the book and, and the, the ideas in it. But oftentimes we get questions like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get it, I get it. But just, just tell me, what, what do I say in this situation? Because they get just a little bit stuck. And we know that it, it's just incredibly frustrating. We've all had this experience of, of having really helpful advice, of wanting to help. And we, we say whatever we say to our kids or someone else in our family, and it blows up in our face. Well, you just don't understand, or they resist the advice that we're giving. The advice is in their own best interest. And so this book is really all about how to talk effectively with kids, because talking ineffectively is, is one doesn't get the job done, and it's just so darn stressful. So the book is really filled with, with, with words, with, with scenarios, with scripts, kind of situations that, there's we as, that we parents are all likely to stumble into one time or another. And to just to give us another way to address these issues in ways that are, well, just more effective. So let's talk about that a bit more. How would you go about summarizing some of the basic pillars of effective speaking and listening through the lens of a parent? Well, we start the, the, the book with talking with kids to ex express empathy and validation because when kids bring to us problems, we tend to fall into one of two traps. We either start giving advice, giving advice, giving advice that to them can feel like criticism and then they reject and they just get more upset or we tend to try to talk kids out of hard feelings. So, you know, a kid comes to you with a you know, bad grade or they broke up with a friend or they didn't make the soccer team. You start saying, well, but what if you tried this? Well, did you think about this? Did you talk to the coach? And I'm sure if you study more next time or sweetheart, it's not that big a deal. Everybody gets a B or you, there'll be other chances to try out for the team. And in both of those situations, we end up, we sort of push ourselves away from kids a little bit and they don't feel understood because it's not logic that calms hard emotions. It's feeling listened to and understood. And when we can do that effectively with our words and it calms those hard emotions, it actually brings back online in kids what's called the prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that we use in solving problems, in putting things into perspective. The very things we're trying to do for kids, by using empathy and validation, we can help them do those things for themselves. One other tool that might be helpful in, in psychology, there's something called reflective listening, which basically just means repeating back to, to someone what you've heard. We, we talk about a, a guy we know, a friend named Aran McGinn, who summarizes this with the acronym WIG. And so he talks about WIGging, which stands for what I got is. So if your son or daughter or your spouse or friend or whatever comes to you with a problem, rather than jumping into this you know, problem solving, you can say, let me just repeat that back to make sure I understood what you said. So, so what, what I heard is you studied really hard for that test and it didn't go well. because you, And you feel like Mr. Miller put things on the test and weren't even there. Did I get that about right? Notice I'm not, I'm not approving, I'm not agreeing, I'm just repeating it back in a way that makes the other person feel heard and understood. And for parents, it also buys us time to figure out what's the next thing we're gonna say, because sometimes the first thought that comes to mind isn't the most effective one. And this wigging or reflective listening is a really helpful way to calm our kids down and to give us more time to, to think of the, the best next move ourselves. That is such a fantastic tip because as you're talking and I, I'm thinking about, and I do this countless times, right? Probably countless times a day. The natural reflex of any parent is to want to jump in and help and provide advice. And, and it's all coming from a great place. 
But just that little tip to just reflective, um, you know, repeat that that really is is quite priceless. Well, it works really well. And, and just, you may you may occasionally get a kid say, well, why are you repeating things back to me? You know, and you say, well, I, I just want to make sure that I understand you. Now, what's interesting is you 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 made the point that that um, we have this tendency to want to make things right. And and it's actually it's called the writing reflex. This came out of what's, what's known as motivational interview. And there were two great psychologists who are doing this work with um, problem drinkers, with alcoholics. And what, what traditionally people would try to talk these people out of their drinking with, with all these dire warnings of what they would lose, their, their spouse, their careers, their health, so on and so forth. But it just, it just led, made them to, to kind of dig in deeper, go into deep, more deeply into denial and, and led to conflict. And the two great insights about motivational interviewing are one, that we all have this writing reflex. When people come to us with a problem, we naturally want to fix it. And, and here's the fun part, that the people are ambivalent about change. So it's not lost on a problem drinker that there'd be reasons you know, to not drink. It's not lost on someone who has you know, grades that are, are really pretty checkered, that getting better grades would help them. But if you start telling your kid all the reasons why he needs better grades and this is going to better choices and da, 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 he starts arguing the other side of the equation. And yeah, but think of what I'd have to give up and it's so much work. And, and, if, and if I tried really hard and then, I, and then I fell short, then I'd really feel bad. And so we, we want to resist the temptation to do this in part because we're hoping that kids can develop for themselves emotional resilience, a, a tolerance for stress, which involves sitting with decisions, sitting with hard choices where there are two sides of this equation and, and really trying to think through both sides of this. And we do this better when we don't start out arguing one side of the equation, because then the kid will reflexively argue the other side and also make it hard for them to ever come around to what we hope is the better decision. You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and our guest is Ned Johnson, father of two, professional tutor, and co-author of a book called What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. Ned, I want to dig into the science. What does the science say about effective communication, in particular as it pertains to teens and young adults? The dominant literature that we look at, um, there's a guy named Steve Mayer who did all the initial work on what's called learned helplessness. And they, they put canines in cages and they'd shock them. And eventually they'd open the door, right? And then they would just stay there. And, but then he had this great paper of learned helplessness at 50. And they said, what did we, what did we learn? What, was, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? And he said, what it turned out was we, it wasn't that they learned helplessness, but they failed to learn a sense of control. And he continued this work um, with this really paradigm experiment with rats. And what happened with rats, where they'd have rat A and rat B in a little, little cage and they'd shock them. It wasn't gonna kill them, but they sure didn't like it. And it'd make them super stressed. And they put a little wheel in there and the rat, rat A would spin the wheel and the shock would stop. Woohoo! Rat B would spin the wheel and nothing happened. Fast forward, they could disconnect the wheel. And what would happen is when the rat A would spin the wheel, he'd get this big activation in the prefrontal cortex, this decision-making problem solving, put things in perspective part of the brain that would dampen down or regulate the 
stress response. At a neurological level, this is what coping looks like. So then they could put the rats in the other situations, you know, with scary, big, scary rat, a maze, whatever. And they would immediately jump into coping and handle it and also figure out how to navigate this difficult situation. When they did this neat thing where they yoked the two rats and rat A spun the wheel, saved himself and brother rat B, Brother Rat B, I'm sure, was grateful as all get out, but he remained this hot mess of basket case because he never learned to, to, to fix things for himself. So we talk about in, in the, what do you say, about the language of a parent consultant, where we offer help, we offer advice, we, we encourage kids to make their own decisions and to solve their own problems, but we don't jump in to save them because when we do, we cast our kids in the role of rat B, where they're constantly being saved and they're grateful and it's okay once in a while, but if we repeatedly do that, we deprive the kids of the very experience that wires them for motivation and for the ability the ability to tolerate stress. And so a simple formula is challenge plus support. And that means we offer help. We don't save kids unless we absolutely have to. Challenge plus support is resilience. And that's what we want for our kids before they go off into the, in the college and, and, and the, the, the adult world where we're not going to be there to save them. We want them to have the experience of saving themselves. And we use our effective language to offer support, but not to save them. When we talk about teens and young adults, um, often parents feel very disconnected when their children are in this age range. What can you suggest about how to help parents build closeness and connection with their teens? One of the great things to do is to simply spend time with kids one-on-one. Bill talked about this. Bill's about 20 years older than I, and he read, read a book early on about how to become, how to really love your children. And it's the idea that we become close with people by spending time one-on-one. Yeah, a group setting, two couples going out is terrific, but it's really this one-on-one connection in part because the guy named John and Julie, John and Julie Gottman, who are these experts on relationships. And they make the point that it is by paying attention to subtle changes in emotion that we really learn to read one another. And it's so much easier to do that one-on-one. And one-on-one time is a way that we, 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 we turn off the phone, we shut everything off and say, there are 168 hours in the week. And God goodness knows if I can't find one hour a week to be with you and do whatever you want to do, I, I, you know, what's the point of life? What's the point of my being your, your mom or your dad? And so even particularly even as, as kids grow into the teenage years, yes, they're trying to individuate from us. They're trying to, 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 to become adults and, and be able to do things without us. But it's this, they, they kind of touch in with us and then they make these adventures, these forays, come back, step away, come back, step away. And if you ever, we want to do everything we can to make ourselves available, including spending time one-on-one with kids when there aren't other people and there aren't other distractions, because we know that that's when they're likely to bring to us hard problems. And the way that we really become close with people emotionally is talking together, working together through hard feelings. If you think, Leon, if you think about your best friends in the world, these are the people to whom you've brought hard problems. And when we were doing this work, we asked, uh, we interviewed dozens of teenagers. We asked them, who are you closest to in the world? And sometimes it was mom or dad, but sometimes aunt, uncle, my pastor, my soccer coach, whatever. And we said, what is it about them? And they said, well, there are two things. One, they listen without judging us. And two, they don't constantly tell us what to do. And so it's just an opportunity. We spend time with kids and we listen. We use this reflective listening and make ourselves, we, we listen more than we lecture. 
that absolutely is great advice. And, and I can hear parents <laughs> as we're <laughs> speaking here going, yep, yep, yep. You know, um, well, so Ned, with everything going on in the world and busy households and individual lives that you've, that you've touched on here, what are some of the keys to raising a happy teenager these days? Well, we have, I love that you asked that. We have a whole chapter in the book about talking with kids about the pursuit of happiness. We can start talking to kids at a younger age about things that really make us happy and build happy lives. That's not just achievement, 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 because we see so many young people and adults too, who have achieved everything. And, but then they're not happy because they simply don't recognize yet that achievement alone isn't the stable foundation that makes lives and people happy. Ned Johnson, this has been a most enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me as your guest. And that is our show for this week. Be sure to find out more about our guests and this week's giveaway at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. 